0: Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 13 through 18. A couple of years ago, the Chino Fire Departments came out to Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley, to teach all the staff members uh, how to do CPR. They actually donated a um, device that's in the sanctuary. If someone's going into a heart attack, you could put the defibrillator on them, press the button, and keep them alive. They also brought in some dummies and showed us how to do CPR. Now, it's not mouth-to-mouth anymore because people think it's mouth-to-mouth, but you can survive without oxygen up to eight minutes, and that's okay. But what you need to do to keep the person alive is keep their heart pumping and the blood flowing through their body. So what they taught us to do, they taught us to hover over the body and kind of keep our arms stiff like this and cross them over our hands and to press on the chest, the chest cavity. And they said, you might in the process make break, break their ribs and as you're doing chest, chest compressions. And the way they taught us to do this was, in a way to make it easier, they taught it to a song, and the song was Staying Alive. Have you guys heard of that? It's like staying alive, staying alive. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. So that beat, you gotta go, staying alive, staying alive, and you keep pressing on that beat to keep them alive. And you have to do that for, and don't stop until the fire department, until the paramedics get there and can take over. You're supposed to continue doing that, and that's how you keep somebody alive. But that's a human. How do we keep the past alive, and why should we keep the past alive? Today's message, I've titled it, Keep the Past Alive, and we're going to look at that. But before we look at today's passage, I want to remind you of last week's, that we've been in this this second part of Nehemiah, which is chapters 7 through 13, where revival takes place among the people. And where does revival begin? It starts with God. The spark of revival starts with the Lord. He gave the people a desire for the word of God. If you go back to chapter 8, verse 1, it says they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law. It wasn't the pastor or the priest saying, hey, let's sit down and have a Bible study. The people were hungry for God's word because God put that desire in their hearts. The desire to read God's word doesn't come from us. It comes from God. Revival starts with God. J. Edwin Orr said, the spirit, revival is the spirit of God working through the word of God in the lives of the people of God. And so last week we saw the spark, the start of revival and a fresh work of God. Look at verse 13 with me. It says, Now on the second day, The heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. This says on the second day, the first day of the seventh month, they had a six-hour Bible study, which was verses 1 through 12. Where Ezra read the word of God, explained it to them, and they understood it. And as their understanding increased, so did their awareness of their sin, which caused them to be grieved and be convicted. And they started weeping. Weeping, where the elders and Nehemiah had to calm the people down and said, Guys, please don't weep. Today is a holy day. Rejoice in the Lord, it is special. Now it's the second day. First day they had a six-hour Bible study and everybody gathered, men, women, and those who were old enough to understand. Here's the second day and they came back for more. They they had this desire that God gave them and now they wanted more of God's work. They came back a following day. I love this. The desire started with God, but the people responded by feeding that desire. See, you can either feed the desire for sin, and when you feed your desire for sin, whatever it may be, whether it's lust, whether it's anger, whether it's pride, whether it's jealousy, whether it's comparing, if you feed into that desire, it's gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger. But if you have this desire for God's word, and you feed that, that desire is gonna get bigger, and it's gonna grow, and it's gonna increase, but our problem sometimes is we have that desire for God's Word, but we don't really get into it. They actually responded, and they wanted more. They were hungry for God's Word. And so they came back the second day for more of it. But notice who came back. It says the heads of the Father's houses of all the people, the priests and the Levites gathered together. They came to have a Bible study. Notice the people that, who, that weren't there, the women and those young enough who could understand. It was all the leaders. Fathers came, and they came to get into God's word with the priests and the Levites. Guzik said this, leaders have a special need to understand and walk in God's word. Their ignorance or lack of knowledge or disobedience affects far more than themselves. It affects everyone they have an influence on. So my understanding of God's word or my ignorance affects all of you. My disobedience affects all of you. Your parents' disobedience affects you. And their lack of knowledge of God's word affects you as well. That's why it's important as leaders like myself and the other junior high leaders to be in God's word, to feast on it daily. They gathered to Ezra in order to understand once again the words of the law. Look at verse 14. And they found written in the law which the Lord God, or which the Lord had commanded Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should announce and proclaim in all the cities and in Jerusalem saying, go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil tree, uh, myrtle trees, branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths as it is written. In verse 14, it says they found in the law. It's amazing when you and I start to read God's word and dive into it, the things that we will find when we seek after the Lord in it. Our problem is sometimes we read this aimlessly. We read God's Word, and we kind of scan through it, and we're like, oh, that's nice, and then we close it and put it away. And I've been guilty of that. The Bible gives this promise to us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. and To him who knocks, it will be opened. If we are seeking after God and his word, God's not going to hide himself. He wants to reveal himself. He says, if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. And so these men gathered together and sought the Lord in his word. And what happened is God revealed a truth to them. And that's the most beautiful thing is when we actually seek God, he will reveal gold nuggets of truth to us as we read it. As we meditate on it, as we study it. And even if you don't, even if it doesn't make sense to you at the moment, continue. If you don't get something out of it, continue. Rely on what you do know. If the Lord spoke to you last week, hold on to that until He gives you something new. He wants to speak to you more than you want to hear him. So don't read God's word aimlessly. I want to challenge you. When you get into his word, seek him and say, God, would you reveal yourself to me? I want to know you through your word. I want to love you. I want to come to know your heart, your will, your expectations, your dislikes, and your likes. Because that's what a relationship's about, right? When you actually have a relationship with someone, you get to know what they like and what they dislike. You get to know their heart, and God wants you to know his heart. What did they find? They rediscovered the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Shelters, and the Feast of Final Harvest. There is four names for this feast, depending on what Bible you have. If you have the NLT translation, it will say the Feast of Shelters. If it's the New King James, it'll say the Feast of Tabernacles. It's all pretty much the same thing. See, here in the United States, we have different holidays, right? We have Thanksgiving, we got Christmas, we have Veterans Day, we got Memorial Day, we got 4th of July. And each one of these days was specifically designed to help us remember. Israel had none of these days because these are U.S. holidays. They had their own feasts, their own holidays where they remembered and they celebrated. This Feast of Tabernacles Was celebrated, was was actually celebrating the last harvest, and it occurred on the seventh month from the 15th day to the 21st day of this month. It was a pilgrim festival, a national gathering of Israel or of Jerusalem and Israel to keep alive Israel's past when they actually lived in temporary shelters in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, the main purpose of this feast, there was two purposes here. The first purpose was to remember that the Jews, how, where they came from, and how they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. Why did God want them to remember this? Because this was important. It was a lack of faith that prevented them from entering into the promised land. They could have had a short journey from Egypt, walking through the Red Sea and up to the Promised Land. And if they had the faith and to trust God, they could have gone into the Promised Land and slain all these giants. But there was 10 spies out of the 12 spies who persuaded the 2 million people that were traveling. And because of that, because they rebelled and they didn't listen to God, didn't remember God, they had to... wander the wilderness for 40 years until that generation died off completely everyone from 20 years and up had to die off God had to cleanse them from that unbelief and he wanted them to remember this the book that kind of highlights this story is the book of numbers it has the worst title <laughs> it sounds so boring you might think it's all about numbers and the first couple chapters have just a bunch of names but it actually should be the wilderness wandering because that's what this book's about. The second purpose of this feast was to highlight God's protection and providence, how he protected them along the way, how he opened the Red Sea and allowed them to cross through and drown the Egyptian army, how he protected them on the road. For those four years, he protected them and he washed over them. He provided for them food, water, clothing. They had manna every morning. They had water when they needed it. Did you know there are sandals that didn't wear out for 40 years too? Can you imagine having the same pair of shoes never getting worn out for 40 years? That would be amazing. I would love that because shoes can get expensive. I think your parents would love that too. God looked out for them. It says in Leviticus 23, 43, speaking of the Feast of Tabernacles, it says, And this will remind each new generation of Israelites that I made their ancestors live in shelters when I rescued them from the land of Egypt. I, the Lord, I am the Lord your God. The purpose of this feast was to remind each new generation that was being raised of what God did in the past, how He rescued them, how He provided, and that He is their God. The hard part with this is, guess what? The children of Israel did not obey this feast. If you look at verse 17, it says, From the, Since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. The days of Joshua was when they actually came in to conquer the land. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they did not keep this feast. Why is it important to keep the past alive? What are you guys' thoughts? Why is it important to remember the past? Because if we made a mistake in the past, um, we need to make sure that we don't make it future. So to learn from our mistakes, okay. If you forget, like you could regain that information. To regain the information, okay, I like that. Any other reasons why we should keep the past alive? It keeps us humble. If you forget where you've come from, you have a chance, we have a chance to be prideful. We have to remember where God saved us from. That way we keep ourselves humble and we don't become prideful. To remember. Joe Foch, he said, a generation that has forgotten their history is a generation that has lost their identity. If you and I forget our history, we will lose our identity. If we forget about Jesus in the past, we will lose our identity. The one thing that makes us special and set apart from everybody else, Christ himself. Winston Churchill said this, Those who fail to learn from history are are doomed to repeat it. In other words, if we forget the past, we are bound and doomed to repeat it. Some people don't want anything to do with the past. And maybe you're one of those people. Maybe you don't like history. I personally love history class. Does anybody like history? History to me is like exciting stuff. Math on the other hand, English. I like history. Because there are stories, there's truth to go along with it, and you learn. There's, it, the sad thing is, people are trying to erase the past. They are. There are some people, there was one guy who did these man on the street interviews, and he was going around interviewing people hey, do you think the Holocaust happened? And the Holocaust is when Hitler slaughtered millions of Jews. And people said, no, that's, that's a fake story and they were convinced that it didn't take place. There are places designated to help us remember the tragedy, the horrificness that took place there. If we forget the past, we are in danger of falling into sin, we are in danger to tripping, making mistakes. God wants us to remember the past. Now, how do you keep the past alive? Practically, what do you guys think? Zach? What? Writing. writing it down, are you saying? So writing down the past helps you remember it, right? I think that's true. Because of what the Jews have written down, we can remember the past because of the bible i guess like traditions like the traditions like 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 yeah. they do like each generation so. Gen- traditions yes when my grandma was alive on my dad's side she we had this tradition where we always had to sing christmas carols before we opened the presents or anything and that was like a tradition and we were like oh my gosh and we would all like roll our eyes and one year my older brother and my cousin hid the christmas music My grandma was not happy. (laughs) But there was like those little family traditions that keep things alive. How else do we keep things alive from the past? You said writing about it, anything else? Pictures, pictures keep moments alive, right? You live in a generation that has phones and you can take pictures at any moment. Your past is more documented than my past. Pictures preserve the past. Any others? Thoughts? Movies. Movies. Films. True. So we talked about writing about it. Reading about it helps us keep the past alive. Talking about it. When you sit around and talk about moments... We do that with jokes sometimes. You go, oh, you remember what he said? And you start laughing at you because that moment was funny and you want to remember it. Andy, who is one of the high school leaders, he has a document on his phone of funny things people say. And he has now like three lists because they get too long. And he just, any time someone says something funny, he will write it down because he wants to remember it. To keep those memories alive. Think about it. When you have someone that has passed away, memories start to fade from them. And it's important to remember those people, the sacrifices, the impacts they had. Do you guys know, even for camps, why we make t-shirts and sweatshirts? So you can remember. When you have a sweatshirt that has the logo on it, when it says serpents and doves, we want you to remember when you have a sticker and you put it on your water bottle, every time you see this sticker, your mind flashes back to what God did at that camp. We don't do it just so you guys can have cool stickers. That's part of it. But we want you guys to remember the things that God did. By having a special day is a way you can remember the past. That's what the 4th of July is about. Memorial Day, Veterans Day. And that's why we also take communion, because Jesus commanded us to do it, but also to keep alive the memory of Christ so that we would not forget it, because it is the most important thing in the world, is Jesus. Now, this Feast of Tabernacles, they're told to make these booths. Now, you might be thinking, what's a booth? It was a tent back then made out of branches that they would live in for a week. This is something that they were commanded to do. They said, you gotta go to the mountains, get a bunch of twigs, and build a makeshift tent that your family will live in for a week. Now, probably as a little kid, the little kids are like, yeah, let's sleep outside in a tent. Parents are like, oh, dang it, we gotta do this again. But the little kids, I think, would be so excited to do this. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16 says, Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which He chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost, and at the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. The male men wear required three times a year to go to Jerusalem, to travel down there or up from wherever they came. And it was these three feasts here on the calendar that they were supposed to go. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Shelters or the Feast of Tabernacles when they would go down and celebrate as a whole. Jesus celebrated these feasts when he went down to Jerusalem because they were kept alive from this point on. Verse 15, they were told to announce it and proclaim it throughout the cities to go get branches and different things to make temporary dwelling places so they could remember and keep this memory alive of when their ancestors traveled through the wilderness and how God brought them to the promised land. Verse 16, then the people went out and brought them and made themselves Booths, each one on the roof of his house, or in the courtyard, or in the courtyard of the house of God, in the open square of the water gates, or in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly, those who were uh, who had returned from captivity, made booths and sat under the booths for. Since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. And there was, there was very great gladness. Verse 16, the people were obedient. So check this out. All of chapter 8 is surrounding God's word. The phrase, the book is mentioned several times throughout chapter 8. And they're continuing to read God's word. And as they find this truth, the people were obedient. Can I say this? If you find something in God's word that you can respond to and obey, do it. Don't wait. Find what you can do and respond. Since this day was only the second day of the seventh month, And the Feast of Tabernacles is normally celebrated from the 15th to the 21st. The timing was perfect. They had about two weeks to prepare for this. So the leaders went out and told the fathers and they told the families and spread the word throughout all of Jerusalem. And the whole assembly responded and became obedient. They went out into the mountains. They grabbed, gathered a bunch of branches to participate. And they gathered branches of, from various kinds of trees and built these makeshift tents in various places all around the city. I wonder what that was like. To see families on the tops of their roofs building these tents or in these courtyards and on the temple mounts where they're actually building it. And everyone's celebrating, remembering what took place. This was simple obedience. God said it, and they did it. They didn't need anything else. They didn't need to be convinced that they should do this because they fed that desire that God gave them. They were hungry for God's word. And God's word brought them joy. But being obedient to God's word also brought them joy. The whole assembly, in verse 17, did this together. But the interesting thing it says in verse 17, those who had returned from captivity made booths. There to remember the first exodus. But there was a second exodus. The second exodus was when God stirred up the heart of King um, Cyrus of Persia and encouraged the Jewish remnant to return to their own country, to the city of Jerusalem. And this is called the second Exodus. And that's where the book of Nehemiah and Ezra come in. So this is now a fresh truth in their mind how two times God has delivered them and brought them in. They didn't do this throughout their history. On occasion, only a couple times we see in the Bible, they actually celebrated the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. But it was never to the capacity that they did it here with such joy and everybody participating. And because they didn't practice this, they often forgot the past. They forgot the past. What are some negative side effects of forgetting the past? When you forget the past, what are some negative side effects? What might happen if you don't remember? You You might make the same mistakes and repeat those same mistakes over and over because you don't learn. You forget the value. You forget the value, absolutely. What are some other negative side effects? You forget, uh, uh, like what people have done. Yeah, you forget what people have done in the past. You forget the joy. Kind of like you said—you forget the people and the traditions. So, like, if you forget the traditions, you don't really remember the people. Absolutely. I think the biggest thing is, if we don't keep the past alive, we are going to forget God. God lives in the present but he teaches us lessons through the past and over and over throughout the law, throughout Leviticus, throughout Exodus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, God says keep these things lest you forget, lest you forget the God who delivered you, lest you forget my loving kindness, lest you forget and all these things come upon you. He knew how humanity is so forgetful We are forgetful as human beings, and we need to be reminded. We need to do our job to keep the past alive. Now, there's certain things like Paul the Apostle, he says, I forget the past, pressing forward to those things that are ahead. There are certain things you need to let die. If you did a sin in the past and you prayed, God, forgive me of that sin, let that die. He has forgiven you the first time you've asked. And that needs to be forgotten. The past that needs to be kept alive is God's word. Remembering the crucifixion, the blood that was shed. Remembering the real reason behind Christmas that God took on the form of a baby, lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death. He did this because God can't die. And there was a way he had to give a sacrifice. His life for hours. There are negative consequences in forgetting. Think about it. If you forget that you had a test tomorrow and you show up to school, what happens then? Ooh, if you forget you had a test and you forgot to study? Or if you forget the paper that you were supposed to turn in and you arrive at school and you're like, Mom, I don't have my paper, and she goes, Too bad. If we forget causes ramifications but when we remember it helps and that's what actually psalm 77 this guy was struggling in his relationship with god he said even the thought of god he gets upset because he was looking at all of his problems but it says when everything changes when he actually remembered god in the past and he started meditating on what god did in the past in talking about what God did in the past, that changed his mood. That changed his perception. That changed his mindset. Memory is important. God wants us to remember. And notice, if you have your own Bibles, at the end of verse 17, it says, And they were very great, there was very great gladness because of their obedience. There is joy in hearing the word of God, but there's greater joy in doing it and being obedient. So we can hear God's word, but where they actually found the greatest joy is in practicing it. That's the greatest joy, is when we live out God's word and we see him working. Because God is working in you, but we have to work out our salvation. Like we talked about last week, there's two sides to the coin. God wants to give you the desire, but you got to feed the desire. You got to be obedient. Luke eleven twenty eight 28 says, and he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. When we hear God's word and obey it, he goes, you will be happy. Then James 1, says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. And that's why I'm concerned for all of you because all of you have pretty much grown up in the church, right? If you've grown up in the church, you've heard God's word over and over and over and over. And if you've only heard God's word, but you've never been obedient to it, you are only fooling yourself and you're not fooling anyone else. You're deceiving yourself putting a veil over your face, tricking yourself. If you want to be snapped out of that, the next time you hear the Holy Spirit prompt you or an impression upon your heart, as you read through something, as you hear it taught, act instantly and be obedient. Slow obedience is disobedience. In verse 18, look at what it says. Also, day by day, From the first day until the last, he read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. Day by day, they soaked up God's word. So not only did they start at the beginning with a six-hour Bible study, The leaders came back and got taught the word of God, and then they went out and proclaimed, say, Hey, we're gonna throw this feast. And everyone's like, Yeah, let's do it. Let's be obedient to God's word. And then everyone was stirred up. And then during that feast, for seven days, they were taught the word of God. John chapter 8:31 says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Are you a Christian? Or are you a disciple? There's difference. A Christian is someone who's saved. A disciple is a learner who wants to be obedient, who wants to live out their faith and impart this knowledge to other people. He says, if you are, you are a disciple when you abide in my word, when you stay in my word, when you read it. And from the first day to the last day, they did this for seven days straight. From the 15th to the 21st, they read God's word, and 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 they did it again and did it again. Did you know this month, the seventh month, the first day, revival started with a spark, right? And all of a sudden, God started blowing on that small flame and started getting bigger and started getting bigger and bigger. The things that happened in this one month changed their history forever. The ramifications from this one month, literally the ripples. Have you guys ever skipped rocks and you've seen the ripples effect, right? The ripples from this one moment in their history literally went all the way 400 years into the future to the time of Jesus. These days left a mark on the nation that lasted until even beyond the time of Christ. For one thing, they became a people of God's book where they gathered together and they heard it read and they practiced this in the synagogues where there was synagogues stationed throughout all the land of Israel and they would gather together on the Sabbath and they would open it up and someone would do a reading. From this day forward, they started to treasure God's word. Are you guys going to start treasuring God's word from this day forward? I pray that you guys would allow God to work in and through your lives, and that you would see the change and transformation that will take place when you respond to God, when He gives you that little bit of a desire, and you act on it and see what He can do. Don't only read God's Word, but read it with the purpose to seek out, to know the Lord Himself, to experience Him, and then also to be obedient, to do it. I read this verse last week, but I'm going to close with this verse. In Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, to teach its statutes and its ordinances in Israel. Are you preparing your heart to not only read God's word, but to seek God in it and then also to apply it to your lives? When you do that, you will actually experience the joy that they did. And can I tell you from experience, there's nothing better. When you actually respond to God's word and do what he says, your joy will increase and enhance. I'm not the biggest person about evangelizing. Sharing my faith is awkward. This is my comfort zone here. But when I went to New York because I believed the Lord put it on my heart to go share my faith in New York, which was out of my comfort zone, I did it. And the Lord gave me favor. He put the desire in my heart to go evangelize to other people and made me cross paths with certain individuals where I could share the gospel with them. And actually lead one individual to the Lord. And there was so much joy in that process. And I said I would do it in a heartbeat. Sign me up again. I want you guys to experience that. But we have to be obedient. Be obedient in the small things. And the Lord will show you the next step and the next step and the one after that. Feed that desire. Get into His Word and let it consume you. Soak in it. Think about it. Ponder it. If you guys got questions, please. I love talking about God's Word. Let's talk about it. I could sit at a coffee shop for hours and talk about it. Be in the Word of God. But not only that, let God's Word be in you.